And I say all that to, to set up what we're talking about for the next five weeks. We're going to be talking about an indescribable gift from God, and it's the gift of grace. Grace. And so I, I think this is going to be an amazing series as we jump into this idea of God's amazing, indescribable, sometimes overwhelming grace, right? I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good stuff. Now, as we begin our, our series here and celebrate the Christmas season and tie it all together, it's easy to get caught up in the shopping frenzy and get lost in Black Friday that actually starts on Thursday. <laughs> What's with that? I don't get that. You know, Black Friday, and then you got well, you got you got uh, Small Business Saturday, you got Cy- Cyber Monday, Cyber Week. I mean, you got all kinds of things. I mean, it's easy to get caught up in that, but I think it's good for us to think about this gift of God as the gift of grace. I'm just curious, how many of you already have all your Christmas shopping done? Wow, wow, you are intense people, man. Next week, I'll, I'll, I'll ask. We'll ask again every week because I'm just trying to get a feel for how quick people get after stuff. So, we're going to talk about indescribable. And there's a verse that we're going to use from Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, or Ephesians, the whole letter of Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. One of the things that they were struggling with as a church was to understand their relationship with Christ and how grace was a big part of that. And so in his conversations with them, there's a lot of language in Christ and and that kind of language. But there's a phrase, I mean, a verse or two verses in Ephesians chapter two that we're going to hammer on and kind of stay with this whole time. And here's what it says. Ephesians two, verse eight and nine. It says, God saved you. And by the way, the word saved is kind of a churchy phrase, but it really simply means this. God put you in a right relationship with him. God came and restored your broken relationship into a healthy and whole relationship with him. That's what that means. God saved you by his, can you say it with me? Grace. Let's say it like we mean it. Grace. God saved me or by his, saved you by his grace when you believed. In other words, when you trusted him, when you placed faith in him, all of a sudden, that empowered this idea, this concept of God's grace in my life. It was the embracing. I embraced it with trust. I embraced it with faith. And all of a sudden, it began to do this work. And then it goes on, and it says, and you can't take credit for this. Let me give you the paraphrased version of that little part. You're not that great. You're, you're not able to say, wow, look at me. Look what I've done. I mean, even you being here today, whether you're visiting for the first time or you've been for a long time in this relational idea with God, you're, you're not here because of you. You're here because of Him. You're here because God came after you. You're here because God did something in His grace, not because of your own doings and your own credit. And that's what he's talking about. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. This idea of grace is this incredible, indescribable, baby Loxley, plain picture, sunset, indescribable idea that God has for each one of us, this gift of God. And then it goes on. Salvation, a bigger word for this idea that he's restored the relationship between him and I, is not a reward for the good things we have done. In other words, there's nothing you can do that's going to make grace more available. It's already there. It's not based on you doing something. You can't be good enough to now stand up and say, now I can receive grace. 
It doesn't work like that. It's extended before you ever were. Matter of fact, before you ever were, like even on the planet, it was extended. So to think about it in that way. So it goes on. It says, not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. In other words, nobody's going to be able to stand up if we fully understand grace and go, look what I've done. I'm, I'm all that. There's, there's just not that arrogance that goes with it. There's just not that pride that goes with it. It's the opposite of that, realizing God has given me something I never deserve. So here's, here's a fill in the blank that I think is important for us to understand today. We often have a mistaken understanding of God's grace. We often have a mistaken understanding of God's grace. The very reason that Paul is writing to the Ephesus church and saying these verses was that they didn't fully understand this grace idea that he was trying to describe to him. He was trying to make it more clear. He was trying to take the snapshot, so to speak, and bring it into clarity so that it could be more describable. And so that's what was happening. And part of the reason, excuse me, part of the reason is we just have a limited understanding. In other words, we, as Scripture says, we look through a glass dimly. Right now today, our ability to view or understand this concept of God's grace at its best is limited. We, we, we can't quite fully wrap our minds, our hearts, and our thoughts around this big idea of God's grace. We can talk about it. We're going to talk about it for the next five weeks. But at the end of the day, it is understanding that we are limited in our ability to fully grasp this idea of God's grace. And so somehow let's try to do our best to do that. And, and so another reason is that some people, not everybody, but some people think that grace is a license to do whatever I want because God will always be gracious. It's true He is gracious, but it's a lie to think that I can just do whatever I want to do and go however I want to go and be whatever I want to be and think that that is my relationship to grace in a healthy way. And, and so there's, there's this mistaken identity that thinks that it's a license to just kind of go. And by the way, what this is called is called cheap grace. It's called cheap grace. In other words, it doesn't really matter, so it doesn't really matter to what I do. And because it's not that big a deal, it's not that big a deal how I live my life. And so we don't fully understand. We mistakenly miss what's really going on. And then another thought is this. Another reason is some of us think that we can earn it or deserve it. And we already talked about that a little bit. So at the end of the day, we desperately, desperately need to fully understand God's grace. There's not a person in this room that does not need to have a desperate understanding of the grace of God. Matter of fact, I'm going to say it this way. I believe that if you would fully or at least as best as you possibly can understand this idea of grace, it would so radically change your life like nothing you've ever experienced in life. That's how big a deal it is. That we desperately need this understanding of grace. Because here's why. If I have not grace but I'm in a church setting, you know what I have? I have religion. If I, if I have no idea of grace, then all of a sudden all I have is this opinion of a good God, but no interaction, no embracing, if you will, of who God is in my own personal life. But here's, here's a statement. This idea we desperately need is because the level of grace, I should have probably made this a fill in the blank, the level of grace we embrace determines the depth of our relationship with God. The level of grace that we embrace determines the depth of the relationship that I have with God. If you have shallow grace, you have a shallow relationship. 
If you have a shallow understanding of what God's grace is in your life, I can almost guarantee you that your commitment and your drive and your passion and your heart and your desire and personal relationship with God is probably some degree minimal than what God would have it to be. And so this embracing idea. So what is grace? What is it? Let's try to define it real quick. It is, in your notes there, it is God's unmerited favor. It is God's unmerited favor given to one who is undeserving. And by the way, just so you don't think that it's everybody else but you, we are all the undeserving. The undeserving is us. It it is us that, that have this sinful nature that is part of us. So here's some classic definitions. I love this one. This is an acronym, GRACE, G-R-A-C-E, that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's cool. God's riches at Christ's expense extended to you and I. Cool. Here's one from A.W. Tozer. I love A.W. Tozer. And if you've never read any A.W. Tozer stuff, I encourage you to read, go out and grab one of his books. He's just an amazing writer from back in the middle century of the 19th century. A.W. Tozer said, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines himself to bestow benefits on the undeserving. It is the good pleasure of God to, do, to incline him to bestow benefits to the undeserving. Here, here's, here's, a, here's another one. Grace is the active working principle of God's love towards men and women who merited the opposite of love. That God would come and He would extend love, He would extend favor, He would extend grace to those that actually were in rebellion and rejection towards Him, but He would come after them to do that. It's an amazing idea that it would be God's favor in that unmerited favor. So the New Testament word for grace is the Greek word charis or charis. It's C-H-A-R-S, and which means simply favor, goodwill, or loving kindness. That's what it means. And so in the Old Testament, there's actually a word that's similar to it. It's kind of harder because in the Old Testament, there's a word called chen, C-H-E-N. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it has multiple meanings. And some of them are the idea of kindness, favor, gracefulness. All these things are connected to this idea of grace. And so it's part of Scripture. But I want to give us just a handful of things that we need to maybe understand that are from a few Scriptures, like five different Scriptures that help us understand a little bit more about grace. All right? Let's jump in. First one is this. We need to understand that pride is a grace killer. Pride is a grace killer. You know, and and this idea that God's grace is available for those who humbly receive it. And so look at James 4. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to those who have it all figured out. (laughs) To those that go to church every week. To the humble. It's, it's this idea that those that bow down are, are those that are in the position to receive grace. Those that are embracing, if you will, are those that are in the best position for grace. Here's another one we need to understand. Is that bitterness can cause you to miss out on the grace of God. Bitterness can cause you to miss out on the grace of God. Check out this verse in Hebrews 12. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Look after each other, because then it goes on. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So somehow this idea of grace and bitterness, there's a choice in there. 
There's a decision in there. How, how will I react? What, what will I do? Because the real question then becomes, when life happens, and it will happen, how will I react to that moment? Am I going to embrace grace, or am I going to embrace re- bitterness and resentment? And by the way, if I embrace bitterness and resentment, it is the absence of grace. And so some of us, I'm not thinking of anybody specific, but some of us, we can't seem to get a hold of grace because we hold on tightly to bitterness. We can't seem to get a hold of this idea that God's favor is wanting to be embraced and part of who I am in relationship to Him because I'm holding on to resentment. I'm mad about something. I might even be mad at God about something. And because of that, I can't be in that position that God wants me to be. That's understanding some degree grace. Here's another one. Let's turn it kind of into more of a positive way here. Grace will help you grow. Grace will help you grow in your relationship with Christ and in your position with Christ. In your relationship, in other words, it's going to link you together more tightly. It's going to give you strength in the relationship. And at the same time, it's going to put you in a position more closely so that you have authority with Christ. Check out what it says in the scripture. It says Acts 20. And now I entrust you to God and the message the message, the word of God, of his grace that is able to build you up, that you're going to grow, and give you an inheritance, that you're going to have a stronger position, blessed position, with all those he has set apart for himself. Here's another one, is that we would understand that grace leads us to greater applause of God. In other words, my life now becomes this applauding, if you will, of God's goodness, of God's grace. Because I've embraced grace, now it naturally flows that I can thank God for what's going on in my life. I can glorify God for what's going on in my life. And all of a sudden, there's this applause that takes place because grace is active in my day-to-day life. It's applause. Matter of fact, it's connected to worship. If, let's just say this. Let's say you're here today and we're going to respond in a few minutes in song and we're going to sing some songs in worship. Giving is worship. But when it comes to those points, I tend to maybe, and I'm not saying me, I'm just saying you might in general, cross your arms and say, is this over yet? Can we get on with this? I mean, I mean, uh, Wendy's, you know, Frosty is calling my name, right? I mean, I want to get out of here and get on with the day. You know, my fantasy football, we're in the playoffs. I mean, I, I need to see if I'm going to win. I mean, what's, I mean, come on. And because of that, here's what's happening. Many times that's a direct relationship to my ability to embrace grace and the lack of applause that should naturally be a part of my life. And so applause of God, more thanks and more glory. Check out 2 Corinthians 4. It says, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. There's a direct result of grace to thanksgiving. And it goes on, and God will receive more and more glory. In other words, when grace is alive, worship is alive. Glory is alive. Thanksgiving is alive. It's natural. You know, all of a sudden, when grace is alive, here's what happens when a church is empowered by grace. They give like nobody's business. Instead of doing 1,000 meals, they do 10,000 meals because grace has so affected me that I want to glorify God in thanks and giving and worship and every part of who I am. That's what happens when grace takes place. So, applause. The last one is this. Understand 
this idea that grace leads to greater confidence before God. Greater confidence. How many of you struggle with having confidence? I do. I mean, there's, there's moments in my life where I struggle with confidence. You know what? I've noticed that every time I struggle with confidence, I'm the one that's the center of the story. I'm the one that's put myself in that place where it's all about me. Somehow I become bigger than life. And I begin to realize that, man, I've really lost sight of who God is in the story. And His grace is really what makes me strong in the midst of my weakness. His grace is really what makes me have access to the boldness and the power and the authority in my life that I need to be walking in so that I can stand up here as a pastor and when I speak and go, going, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I can stand up here and go, you know what? God says this, and it's because I've embraced grace. And it's not about me. And so some of us understand that. Check out this verse. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Why is there boldness in the throne of gracious God? It's because of our relationship to grace and God. There we will receive His mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. In other words, grace provides access. So that's just a few verses to kind of whet our appetite a little bit to what's going on. So here's the whole point. At the core of grace, it's favor. At the core of grace, it's favor, and I can only receive it. Now, how many of you love it when you get a favor when you go to a party? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, so many of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you get maybe a little package full. You know, I, I like it when I go to weddings, particularly me. I love it when the wedding people really pull out all the stops and they put seriously good candy on the table. <laughs> I mean, don't be cheap with those little mints. I mean, come on, put some stuff out there that counts, you know? I mean... But I love that favor. I mean, they didn't have to. They're just throwing out a favor, you know. I mean, we all love favors. We, we love that when someone shows us little, a little bit of kindness for no reason. When someone does something for us that we didn't expect, you know. I mean, that just, it, it, it gets us. It, it, it moves us. And it's part of what God does. He goes out of his way, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, just because of who God is and because I'm in relationship with him. It's all about favor. Grace is God showing us his favor. It's him showing his favor towards us. It is God moving in our lives to position us for greatness and blessing. So what that means is this, is that when I'm in God's grace and I'm in relationship with him in this way, I'm in different platforms in my life that are grace moments, that are grace opportunities, that I get to embrace this idea of his favor in my life. And so I want to look for a moment to, at one story, and that's the story of Joseph. Every, every week we're going to take a different story and try to incorporate it into this idea of indescribable. So this week I want to talk about Joseph. And really the question here before we get into Jope, Joseph is, will I work with grace and, and his, his favor, or will I reject God's favor and his grace? That's really the, the question. How am I going to respond to the situations of my life that God is maybe moving actively behind the scenes and making things happen? So here's the story of Joseph, and it's found in Genesis 37 and 39 through 45, and great story. How many of you ever read the story of Joseph? A lot of you. If you haven't, go and read it. It's just an amazing story of grace and favor that God shows through one man named Joseph. Now here's Here's where Joseph was. Joseph was the 11th son of 12 sons. He was the 11th son. 
His mom actually died when she gave birth to the 12. And so his dad really loved Joseph. His name was Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph. He, he was actually his favorite. And the reason why he was favorite is because the woman that gave birth to Joseph was the love of his life. And, and God showed his blessing in giving her, which was unable to have children, to be able to have this child. And so Joseph was all this. But in doing that, the brothers, the other ten who were half-brothers, resented Joseph. They didn't like him. Remember, resentment always destroys grace. And so the brothers didn't like Joseph. And matter of fact, Joseph had these dreams, and he would come and say, hey, someday you're going to bow down before me. And like, man, what are you, some little arrogant little punk? You know, I mean, what was going on here? And so one day, Jacob told Joseph, I want you to go out and check on your brothers as they're tending the flocks out in the far-off fields. Go see how it's going. So he goes out there, and as, as he's going out there, the brothers see him from a distance, and they begin to talk amongst themselves, and they say, you know what, here comes that Joseph punk, and I don't like him, even though he's my half-brother. When he gets here, let's get rid of him. Let's take out this favoritism thing and just throw him in a well. Let's just get rid of him. Let's, let's kill him. And so what they did when he showed up, they grabbed him, and they threw him in a well. They threw him in a well. Their own brother. I mean, can you imagine if your brother did that to you? Don't look around if they're here right now. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine what it would be like to have your own family so despise you that they're going to push you off in a well and throw you away like you're not worth anything? And that's what was happening with Joseph. He was in this well, and he was being thrown away because he was the favorite, and they didn't like it. And so after a little while, what happened is, is they said, you know what, instead of doing that, let's pull him out of the well and let's sell him to these slave traders that are driving by right now that are heading to Egypt. We can make a few bucks off of it and get rid of him at the same time. And so they thought, well, let's do that. So they made a few bucks. They then took his coat and they put blood on it. And then they took it back to Jacob and said, hey, your son must have got tore up by a lion. Here's the coat. Oh, bummer. You know, they were deceitful. I mean, it was just an ugly time. And so Joseph was in the well, out of the well, in the back of the wagon, or walking behind the slave traders, however it looked. I'm sure he was going, what in the world's going on? And he was unaware that maybe he was under the grace of God. I don't think he had a clue at that time. He was probably thinking, life is unfair. He was probably thinking, what in the world is going on here? I can't believe that this has happened. I think God is supposed to be with me. This doesn't feel like God is with me. And he was unaware that he was under the favor of God's hand and grace. And remember, grace is God's active hand in the lives of people in all kinds of situations. And so many times we don't understand that God's grace is active right now. See, some of you here today, God is actively doing things in your life or maybe positioning you in life or platforming you in life or even allowing you to experience difficult or struggling circumstances in your life. And all of that might be very well, maybe God's grace, his favor. But somehow in the midst of all that, that's happening because many times we're just we don't realize it's happening. Sometimes we falsely assume that we're in charge or we're in control when actually the hand of God is moving and orchestrating our lives for His purpose. Or sometimes we falsely assume it's all about me, kind of like what I talked about a little bit earlier, when in reality it's all about Him and it's for Him. We just get lost in there, and, and, and we might think it's just we're just getting a raw deal. And let me just say it this way, life is unfair. But just because it's unfair doesn't mean that God doesn't show His grace in the middle of the unfair. Just because you're going through something, just because you're dealing with something, doesn't mean that God might not 
be in the middle of that thing, and that might be more grace than you've ever experienced in your entire life, but you have to embrace the grace. And so all that's happening. And so here's Joseph. He's, he's seeing this situation, and it's all going on, but when Joseph was thrown in the well, it was actually grace. When he was sold to the slave traders, it was grace. When he ended up in the Egyptian master's home under Potiphar as a servant, it was grace. In all these situations, it was actually grace. Check out what it says in Genesis chapter 39. It says the Lord was with Joseph. Actually, that phrase right there is in chapter 39 six different times. The Lord was with Joseph. He was successful and lived in the household of his Egyptian master. As a slave, there was grace. And then it, it, it got worse because Potiphar's wife, she thought Joseph was a hunk of a young man. And so she had desires for him to the point where she kept asking, hey, have relationship with me, have sex with me, be, be a part, of, you know, let's do this thing. And he kept saying, no, 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 I, I, I want to stay pure before the Lord. And so one day it says that she grabbed him to rape him and he ran away and ended up with the coat. She had the coat or his cloak, and, and he ran away, and she said, hey, hey, Joseph is trying to rape me, and he ends up now in prison because of that. So he's been falsely accused. He was in the well. He was sold as a slave, falsely accused. All this is happening, and all of it was grace. It was God's favor in the midst of all that. So notice what it says in verse 39, even in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and shown him kindness. He granted him favor in the sight of the prison warden. See, when God revealed to him the meaning of Pharaoh's dreams, and he did, this is what happened. He's in prison, and Pharaoh, the leader of the country, has a dream, and there's nobody to interpret it, but God gives him an interpretation, and, and so it kind of catapults him into a new place of favor, a new platform. And God was with him this whole time. And here's the point. Sometimes the hardest things in life can be the most grace-filled things in life. Sometimes the hardest things that you will face in life might could and could be the most grace-filled things in your life. See, it's in, in those moments that character is forged, and I'm actually truly positioned for greatness. So to be put in prison was God's grace. To be given opportunities to interpret dreams was God's grace. To be placed in a position of authority was God's grace. He became a second in command because of God's grace. You might be in the job you are today because of God's grace. You might be in the family situation you are today because of God's grace. You might be here right now because of God's grace. Because of His favor. He might be orchestrating something. Something might be happening. And your choice and my choice is, am I going to embrace it? Am I going to embrace it? Am I going to grab a hold of this thing and realize that no matter what the situation is, God is with me and His favor is upon me no matter what the circumstances might look like? And so here's the point. Before we decide that God is not gracious, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you went through. I don't know what you're going through. But before you decide that God is not gracious, before you decide that, God is not involved, that you think that. God is not involved. Maybe we should reconsider how God might be showing us his favor in the middle of our journey. 
that maybe where you're at right now isn't necessarily just this unfair situation, but maybe where you're at right now is God positioning you, self with his, you with his favor that you might embrace grace and there might be a result thereof. And I love how the story goes because through it all, Joseph embraced grace. And as the story goes, he, he was able to see it as God's favor in, in all that was happening. So when he was thrown in the well, looking back, he's like, man, God's grace is there. When he was sold into slavery, God's grace. When he, when he was a pot of the Egyptian master as a servant, God's grace. When even, and this one's crazy, even when Potiphar was accusing him of rape, it was God's grace that God was in the midst of that. When he was in prison, it was God's grace. And it says then he ends up in Pharaoh's courts as the second in command because he interprets a dream about seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. And he says, we better save now because everybody's going to be in a bad spot. And people started coming from all over the region to get food from him and get resources from him. And one of the groups that came to get stuff from him were those ten brothers. And as they walked in the door, you know what he did? I got you now. That's not what he did. Because he had embraced grace. Because he had embraced grace when his brothers showed up and they walked in the door. He recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. He was probably all dolled up, had one of those big hats and makeup on his eyes, you know, looking all good. And, you know, they were dirty flock guys, you know. And, and they walk in and he recognizes them. And I think in those moments, I don't know if he knew it before, but maybe he did. Maybe he was already recognizing, man, I've embraced grace, and God has brought me out of the well, out of slavery, out of Potiphar's wife's grip, out of prison, and now I'm here. Maybe he was already going, wow, wow, look at what God is doing. But all of a sudden, he sees his brother and goes, his brothers, and he goes, oh, man, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. And he has a couple interactions with them, and he sends them back to get the other brother, Benjamin, the youngest one. He brings him back, and finally he can't take it anymore. He's overwhelmed with passion and compassion. He's weeping. He's got them all lined up in a dinner table or in order of age. And he walks out, and he says, I'm your brother, the one you put in the well, the one that you tried to get rid of, the one that you thought you were doing something bad to, but it wasn't that way at all. It was God's favor. And check out what he said. It says, verse Genesis 45, verse 7, it says, God has sent me ahead of you. Could your situation be that phrase? God is sending me ahead of you for my family, for whatever it might be, whoever, maybe his grandbabies, I don't know, maybe God's sending me ahead for that little Loxley. But God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. There is life in this moment. It is not death. There is life in this moment because God's favor and God's grace has been upon me, and it wasn't you. You might have thought you were doing it. You might have thought it was happening that way, but God was in the middle of all that. And so verse 8 says, So it was God who sent me here. Read between the lines. It was God who put me in the well. It was God who sold me as a slave. It was God who had me accused. It was God who had me in prison. It was God who raised me to Pharaoh's second right hand. It was God. It was God. It was God. God's favor was upon my life, and it might be on yours as well. And it said, it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. Three things I want to talk about real quickly as I close. Three thoughts about God's favor. 
Here's the first one. It does not, God's favor does not always look like I think it should look. Last rocket science, isn't it? It does not always look like I think it should look. It could be something difficult. It could be something uncomfortable. It could be a period of time where I have to wait. It could be a long period of time. It could be like Moses, 40 years on the backside of the desert. It could be that. It could look like that. It could be a left move to find the right place because your struggle could be God's grace and favor in your life. Here's the exception. There's only one exception to this. If your struggle is the direct result of your own sin, that's actually called justice or coincidence, uh, consequence. There we go. That's consequence. See, sometimes we have consequence. And not, we're not talking about consequences here. We're talking about God in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the difficult time. Because the immediate, check this out, the immediate circumstance is not always the best indicator of God's long-range grace plan for my life. The immediate circumstances are not always the best indicator of God's long-range grace plans for my life. What you might be in right now might not be what God has got planned for the end. What you're dealing with might be in the middle of God's grace and God's favor, but it's not the end. It will sometimes take us on turns and twists to get us to our destination. Check this one. Being in God's favor in the prison is better than being outside of God's favor in the palace. See, some of you, we think we just want to get to the palace. I just want to get to the palace where I got all my needs met. I got all the things that I want. I got everything's good. Everything's great. But sometimes the best place you can be is in the prison. Because God's forging something in you. God's shaping something in you. Here's the second thought. In the end, it will always lead to preserving life. In the end, it will always lead to saving lives there would be many survivors, that there would be those that are impacted because of this favor of God on my life. See, it always leads to a better place in relationship with God and impacted those around me. Whether it's an opportunity to present the message of grace to someone else or the development of my own character as a person, it always leads to life. Embrace it. Embrace grace. Here's the last thing. It is intended to be shared. It would have been a sad story if all of that would have happened and Joseph would have got right to that moment where his brothers were standing there and said, "Ah, sucks to be you. But it didn't work that way. He knew that the whole reason that God's favor was upon his life was that he would share it, not grab it and hold it for himself. Because grace and favor received but not given is an abuse of God's favor and grace. Let me say that again. Grace and favor received but not given is an abuse of God's favor and grace. So if I'm in favor, let me, let me point this out. Maybe some of you, you are in a position financially where God has blessed the socks off you. Boy, to take that and not share it might be an abuse of God's favor got to ask yourself, Lord, why is this? Why am I in this place? Grace. Here's the question I have for you as I close. Will you embrace grace? Will you embrace grace?
where you begin to realize that God is moving in your life, even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the circumstances that maybe don't make sense, where you begin to allow God's favor to have its way. In other words, I go right back to the scripture that we started off. We are saved by God's grace through faith or believing. I trust you with this circumstance. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the word. I thank you for grace. It's indescribable grace. I thank you for it. And so, Lord, right now I'm asking that, Lord, in this room we would make a collective decision that says yes to your grace. It's a yes to your favor, first and foremost, in Jesus, that he would come and die on a cross for us and pay the price of our sin and set us free in forgiveness. God, I say yes. So, Lord, we open our hearts to you. And, Lord, no matter what the circumstance or situation I'm in, God, that, God, I would embrace grace and that you would have your way, that you would bring life and that it would be something that would bring glory and thanksgiving to you, God. Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name.